Welcome to Riff Ram Review, your TCU sports talk home right here on 88.7 KTCU. Here are your hosts, Seth Dowdle, Ian Nepetian, and Zion Trammell. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Riff Ram Review here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. We're back with episode nine um, here in the studios. My name's Ian Apichan, and tonight I'm joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle. Boys, how are we doing? Doing well. This weather sucks, though. It is so bad because, look, I don't mind the rain. That's okay. But when it's like humid and muggy and your hands feel all sticky, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan, but I am happy with the rain. We're going to get some cooler weather soon. Yep. Is this what Houston feels like all the time? I was Goodness say. gracious, man. This stinks. But you know what? It's a happy time. Uh, we're, we're on the show, which means that the week, we have lived another week to, to do this show, and that is always a good thing. It's, it's the best time of the week, in my opinion. Yep. Exactly, exactly. It is. I mean, you know, the weather is not ideal, but we move, you know. Yeah. Fortunately, we're inside, yeah. which is great. Imagine if we had to do this thing outside <laughs> yes. in a tent. That would be crazy. One day, one day hopefully, we will, we will be on location somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, hopefully, let's... it'll be, you know, not in the the, the rain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Let's get this episode started. It starts pouring. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to leave. Yeah. Well, anyways, jumping straight into it, you guys know that we love to start with TCU football, even though they got absolutely embarrassed this last weekend against the Kansas State Wildcats, 41-3. to It's something that we don't want to have to talk about, but we have to. Whew. Yeah, we do. It's tough. It's tough, you know. I mean, TCU started really well after, you know, that game against Baylor with Josh Hoover coming in. Not the same story. We will, you know, I, I do want to say we did get some of our score predictions right, you know, closer this time because that previous time we all chose against TCU. This time Seth and I chose against TCU. Zion chose for TCU, but at least some of us got it correct. Yeah, Zion, so, we need you we need you to answer to yeah. answer right now. Like come on. Yeah, step it up, man. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. But what was anyways, going on there? yeah, it, it was a frustrating weekend. I, I, I know you guys watch the game to some capacity. I watched the game to some capacity. I watched basically right up until the end of the third quarter and I was done. It was a Saturday. I was back home in California and I was like, I'm not gonna watch this while I'm hanging out with my family. It's not worth my time. Yeah, it's never fun to watch a crime scene in your living room yes. unfold. Yes, exactly. Watched it, yeah. Uh, I, I will not admit uh, <laughs> the short length that I watched this football game, but I did catch up on the rest of it uh, on the, the within the next few days. <laughs> I was in Dickey's Arena for the majority of this game. Very nice. I had a very wonderful Saturday evening that was not tainted by this football game, which is wonderful. Went to Joe T. Garcia's. Oh. Had a wonderful little evening there. Wow. Uh, and uh, we were, were going to sit outside. I don't know if y'all mind me going on this short little tangent. But no, go for we it. We were sitting outside. We wanted to sit outside. I don't know. Y'all Have y'all been to Joe T.'s? Never. Never. But I've always heard it. Mm-hmm. Heard Never. of so it. And... There's a two sections. There's... It's a very large complex, and you can sit outside, and that's it's a very beautiful like out, outdoor seating area, and everyone wants to sit outside, or you can sit inside, and it's a, like there's not as long as a wait, but there's still a substantial, substantial wait. So we wanted to sit outside, and the line was long, but we were willing to to brave it out. But we later found out that we were not going to get outside because someone had reserved it, and it turned out to be a wedding party. Oh, very ooh. upset. And At this Jotis, and this brutal. wedding party came, and they wanted all of us to know that they were a part of a wedding party they were 
telling they essentially like it treated their like walk up to the restaurant like a pep rally oh interesting and we're like come on guys let's go yeah. let's go cheer them on and we and people did because <laughs> like, they're weird yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay I don't know nice. but we ended up sitting in, inside and it was wonderful i looked at the score was like ah this isn't good and then we went to a comedy show and i go. forgot about it there you go good 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 well quickly before we do hop into this tcu football segment we did want to just tell everybody about next week's show. We have a very big special guest on the show next week. That's Wednesday, November 1st. Um, Sedona Prince from TC Women's Basketball will be joining the show next week. So be sure to tune in for that. Just wanted to tell you all early on in the show, just so you guys knew um, about next week's show. So Sedona Prince from TC Women's, Women's Basketball will be joining us. She just transferred to TCU for her sixth year um, in college basketball. Um, it's her graduate year. Um, she's coming over from Oregon, had a lot of success there, but now she's coming over to TCU to finish out her college career. So we'll be talking with her about that, her journey um, throughout college basketball to college basketball, some of the things she's done um, to, to, you know, have, you know, just, just in her journey, really, and kind of just look ahead to this season's, uh, you know, this year's women's basketball season, because it was a tough year last year, but uh, head coach Mark Campbell and the rest of his team have brought in a lot and a lot of transfers. So we're really excited for that. So stay tuned for that. We will be posting notifications and, and other updates um, to our Instagram and TikTok um, as we get closer to that. But Sedona Prince will be joining us next Wednesday. That is November 1st, Wednesday, November 1st. But aside from that, time to hop into TCU football. Got embarrassed 41-3. to Not what many of us expected. I, I think, you know, we were hoping to see this offense gel a little more and and especially off the back of putting up 44 points against BYU the week prior and it just seemed that the team was completely negated both on offense and defense because this Kansas State side looked pretty solid this this Saturday yeah they weren't doing anything crazy on the offensive side for Kansas State they said hey we're gonna run the football down your throat and there's nothing you can do to stop it and they've kind of had success with that this season but this game is very evident that that's what they were going to do and they did it very successfully it's just it's an embarrassing loss if I'm being honest I I was pretty upset to see you know that kind of loss losing by 38 points look there's been a lot of roster turnover we've talked about that several times but if you want to be an established college football program that's going to be very successful, you cannot lose by 38 points, uh, especially, you know, Kansas State's a good team, but you can't lose by 38 points regardless of the opponent. And uh, that was a pretty bad loss, and they've, they're have they running out of time to turn this uh, thing around. You are not allowed to give up 343 yards in a Big 12 conference game. It is simply against the rules, but... TCU is a, is, is a rule breaker. They are a trendsetter, and they will uh, go against the curve, and that is what they did. They gave up 343 rushing yards. Only yeah. one touchdown, though, on their ground. Uh, but uh, Kansas State did score four in the air. And as you mentioned, Zion, uh, they scored 41 points, and TCU scored a measly three. A lot of looking in the mirror is going to be need to be done. It, uh, if, if there's one silver lining, it's that TCU gets a little weak to you know, reset and, and reevaluate what they want to do both on offense and on defense because uh, going down the stretch run here, if they want to win two more games and compete in a bowl game, whether that's the Pop-Tart Bowl or, or some other, you know, oddly sponsored bowl name, uh, they're, they're going to have to buckle down and, and figure something out because things are not working. 
Yeah, and, and, and kind of just going off of that, Seth, I think you said it perfectly. This might be the perfect time to have a bye week. It kind of puts even more stress on this last game in terms of having to get that monkey off your back against Texas Tech, right? And so you have a full week plus um, to really look back at this and say, look, where did we get it wrong? You know, I mean, I, 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 I don't know how you guys feel, but for me when I was watching the game, it was a little frustrating because, okay, first half, it wasn't good. At, coming out of halftime, I was like, okay, I want to see what types of adjustments we made. But not not at a single point did I ever see an adjustment, be, you know, actually be made. And I think that's what was frustrating was that, Nothing changed. There were there were no wrinkles to the game. It was the same offense the entire way through. And then when you have a defense that just gets trampled on time and time again, you know, it, it, it doesn't help. So I'm, I'm curious for you guys, how was it watching? Because, I mean, I was really hoping to see some adjustments, you know, see, see some adjustments made, and nothing happened. Yeah, there. I was pretty frustrated by that too. Um, I, I didn't. I was very frustrated with the way the offense looked on Saturday. Uh, they had the ball for 21 minutes. Kansas State had the ball for nearly 39. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, I guess maybe I would have hoped that they'd slow things down a little bit for Josh because clearly he was not seeing the defense as well as he did against BYU. So I, I would just. I don't know. It was frustrating to not see many adjustments at all. It doesn't matter if you go fast if you're not doing anything when you go fast. And especially with a young quarterback like Josh Hoover, who's only made one start and has had a couple more appearances before yep. that. Now, you know, Kansas State, a very competent coaching staff over there. They're the reigning Big 12 champions. They obviously know what they're doing. Studied that film of Josh and was able to, you know, maneuver their defense in a way to counteract what they uh, what the, what Bryles and Dykes and and the offense wanted to do and then yes like y'all said zero adjustments seemed to be made still we're going at a lightning fast pace and and for a young quarterback who sometimes you know things aren't firing as quickly as as, as it would for someone with a little bit more experience like you said Zion it would benefit sometimes to slow it down see what we got and, and then go from there and it, it doesn't help if you're going super fast if you're not doing anything with it. Yeah, and I almost wonder now, okay, so we had a really good start from Josh Hoover, and we had a really poor start from Josh Hoover. So are we sort of going to meet in the middle here? Like, what what do you guys feel like is the expectation for him for the rest of this season? I mean, in terms of, I, I don't even know if there's really expectations for him, at mm -hmm. least from the fan side. I'm sure within the team there's expectations, but it's just more of, look, I mean, again, this guy is fresh. He doesn't have much experience, and I think, especially when you play a team like Kansas State, especially after that game against BYU, they have a lot more film on him. And it's kind of like what we saw two seasons ago with Chandler Morris when he came in for Max Duggan, had that breakout game for Baylor, and then immediately the next game, it is like it's it's a completely different feel of the team, right? And so I, I, I don't, I honestly don't even have any expectations. It's more, look, if, I mean, at least this season, I see Texas Tech and Baylor as our most winnable games, so go and try to win those, put up a good fight. But, I mean, I think at this point it's just trying to say don't get embarrassed, put together a decent offensive drive here and there, and 
but it's it's going to be tough because again josh hoover just doesn't have that experience you know what sucks stinks uh a month uh, a year ago around this same time tcu is coming off a awesome win over kansas state to move to eight uh seven and oh yeah maybe six and oh at that point awesome win right and then now we have this bitter taste in our mouths. The program is in a completely different direction. It feels like all that positive momentum, even after the loss to, to Georgia, every time TCU walked into a high school looking to recruit a player, they were legitimized because of what had just happened, right? Even after no. getting trounced, you say, hey, this is a program that can take you to a national title, and we can see what we can do. We need you to come and help us win. Now, taken a back step and things are not going where they're supposed to be going in year two obviously there was going to be some regression it's hard to improve on a year when you make the national championship but a potential season where six and six is now the ceiling was not anything that anybody hoped for and and changes have to be made because you're going into year three now is this is we're almost at the point of the season where we're looking ahead to next season what it's going to look like right uh what are you going to do at that point yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just—it's—it's it's, like I said earlier. You have to be able to establish yourself with multiple winning seasons if you're trying to develop a culture that's going to compete um, in the Big Twelve and for a national championship or the playoff, whatever it is. But yeah, I don't really know where you go. I mean, you—you you have two pretty winnable matchups. Texas Tech's not going to be. None of these games are going to be easy, obviously, but. Texas Tech and Baylor are beatable. Texas and Oklahoma are a massive long shot, and I mean a massive long shot. You win either one of those, and that's absolutely insane. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't know where to go from here. Yeah, and and again, just kind of going back to the game real quick, I think the most frustrating thing about this loss was the fact that up until this game, the TCU defense had pr- progressively been getting better and better and better each week this was one of the worst defensive performance i sorry performances i have ever seen from tcu and just uh just just a little nugget from the game 19 missed tackles against kansas state that's tied for the most this season and the other game was 19 missed tackles against colorado to open up the season and it's frustrating because so much progress was made it was seen then all of a sudden it just disappears like that into thin air, and you say, whoa, these are the same guys. What's going on with this defense? Kansas State, again, just like you said, Zion, earlier, they didn't do anything special. They hadn't done anything that we have not seen before. It's just TCU. It's almost like TCU just did not show up. Yeah. Have you guys seen a a complete flip like that before from a team where you win 44 to 11 against BYU and you feel like, okay, we got something. We maybe can move in the right. And then the next week it's like, wow, what the heck was that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's so unnatural. I think in football, especially, um, but I, I think TCU is just naturally a streaky team, right? I mean, last season when TCU went 12 and zero, and then they lost, um, to Kansas State, beat Michigan, and then lost to Georgia. Again, that whole season was like a, it was like a multi-month-long adrenaline rush, right? Poured into a season. Yes, the you know TCU had you know had its fortunate and lucky moments, but they were riding this adrenaline all season, and then it comes to the end, and then you know. But then looking back at 2021, TCU, when TCU is 
low and, and not doing well, they are really low. It's a low. But when it's high, it's one of the highest hi- highest of highs you can ever have. And that's kind of how I felt as a TCU fan over the last two and a half, three years. Is just TCU is naturally a streaky team. And it feels like that confidence that you've had and that you've built up week after week after week, whether it's on defense, offense, or just around the whole entire football team, it just disappears just like that. Uh, I think what's different, though, about and you kind of mentioned the parallel to the Chandler Morris Baylor game. And then the following week, they lost sixty-three to seventeen to Oklahoma State. The following week in Stillwater, uh, Oklahoma State if won the Fiesta Bowl that year. So obviously, I mean that was a good Oklahoma State team, but you don't want to get trounced sixty-three to seventeen. The difference though is that was with an interim coaching staff. Gary Patterson had just left the program the week prior to the Baylor game, right? Uh, this is with a coaching staff that's you know cemented here, has been here for a little while, and is going to continue to be here. Uh, that's where the worrisome, the worry starts to, to spark in me. I don't know if y'all saw that video that Kansas State O lineman uh, and his comments about yep. the TCU sideline. That's I don't know if that's true, but no. we've kind of seen you know inklings of that throughout the entire year of those kinds of rumblings and that kind of culture shift, and that's what's worrisome. Yeah, it just doesn't feel that doesn't seem like the team that we saw last year. Just this it just seems weird that there's so much of a a supposed culture shift. I don't want to speculate or anything, but it just seems a little bit different. Yeah, and and I mean that culture shift though, right? I I mean it's part of it has to be because we lost so many leaders on the team. Yeah. Right? I mean, you you lose Steve Avila, um you lose Alan Ali, Quentin Johnson, Max Duggan, Amari Di Mercado. It's not just like those guys were young guys, but they led the team because of their roles on the team. Those are all veterans, right? And that's kind of something that we're lacking a little bit here is that I don't feel like there's a single person this season that is having some spectacular year because they're a veteran, because you know they've cemented themselves. And it's like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing, but it's just the rest of the team is lagging behind. There's nobody that I would point to on this team and really say, that's my leader. This is the face of our team. This is the face of our offense. This is the face of our defense. I just don't really see that. Whereas last year, gosh, I mean, you you could spin around blindfolded and point and you'd find someone. Yeah, there's there's multiple guys. I will give a shout out, though, to Imani Bailey because he had 12 carries for 100 yards. That's a lot of yardage to with just the – just 12 carries just a handful there so he's been pretty consistent and uh, Sonny Dice has talked about his work ethic but um, yeah I agree and I, I don't think I see really someone that's like yep this is this is the guy yeah so it's it's frustrating but fortunately for TCU football they get this weekend and a little bit of next week to turn around look in the mirror figure some things out before they go over to Texas Tech to play the Red Raiders. That's on a Thursday night, November 2nd. Um, over. Thursday night in Lubbock. Oh, goodness. Oh, don't, don't even. No, I'm scared. Oh, that's, that's the tortillas are flying, baby. Yes, the, the tortillas <laughs> will be flying in Lubbock. But that will wrap up our TCU football segment here tonight. But up next, we've got some more college football talk, especially talking about Utah and USC. That was a great game. So stick right here on 88.7 The Choice. You're listening to Riff Ram Review. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. 
I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to episode 9 of Riff Ram Review right here on KTCU The Choice. I'm Zion Trammell here with Ian Apetian and Seth Dowdle. We talked about TCU football, but we are going to be talking about the college football world in this past weekend. There were some fun games in week 8 around college football. Now, we seem to mention USC every single week, and for good reason. They always seem to be playing in some crazy game whether they almost blow a lead to Colorado and then they get blown out by Notre Dame. This past weekend, they couldn't get over the the Utah Utes, the curse of Utah. Utes. Yeah, li- I love Utes. Yeah, they, they, Utah lives rent-free in Caleb Williams' uh, head right now. They, they drove down the field. They scored a game-winning field goal to hand USC their second loss of the season that was a fun game. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And for Caleb Williams, it's just another heartbreaker to Utah. That's brutal. He didn't have a touchdown or an interception, but what were your guys' thoughts on this game? Welcome to the Trojan Power Hour, everyone. We're welcome. Yep. Yeah, this is a fun time. We do this every every show. It really, uh, we do. It's oh. fight on, baby. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it doesn't see, does it not seem inevitable that Utah – it's just going to go in there and and beat the Trojans every single time. It feels like even when this game, so Utah has the ball late. They're at their own 50 with a timeout left and 14 or so seconds left. And even then, down by two, I was like, they're going to – this is the USC defense. It's leaky. Even with a backup quarterback – they're going to find a way to get in the field goal range. And what do you know, a 30-yard quarterback scamper on <laughs> from the 50 to get him in the field goal range? Yeah. <laughs> they kick it. They win the game. Lincoln Riley is stunned that his team once again gave up 30-plus points. And here we are. Utah once again tramples the Trojans. Yeah, it, it's it's funny um, about Lincoln Riley because I was watching his post-game interview. I, I, I think someone posted a little clip on Twitter, and so it was him talking to all the reporters, but in the background, you just hear the muffled sound of a loud speaker coming from the Utah uh, locker room, and you're, he, you, know, you know he's sitting there answering the question. Literally right behind him is a wall, and you just the vibrations are coming through and it's just it's right in his face what's the question <laughs> yeah what's the question <laughs> well uh for y- all who are not privy on the uh the caleb williams utah saga uh caleb williams as y'all mentioned 0 three against utah 
against in the last uh, two seasons. Uh, they lost last year on a really it was a really good game in the regular season uh, in Utah. Uh, last year, uh, that was just it was an awesome game. It was a really, really good football game. And then they met again in the Pac-12 championship, and for what seems like the tenth year in the row, Utah goes in there. They can't make the college football playoff, but the other team could with a yeah. win, and once again spoils the Pac-12's chances. And they beat Utah. They cr- they killed them. It was a massacre oh, yeah. uh, in Las Vegas. And then this year was a really good football game. Uh, I in every all, every single year. The theme is the defense couldn't stop anybody. The offense probably did enough, right, to win the game. I mean, you score 32, even in a college football landscape where, you know, offense is king, yeah. you, you think that's probably enough. No. you got to score 100, man. Yeah, it's, it's again, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to beat a dead horse here, but we've talked about it week after week after week with USC, and it's it's like, look, clearly the offense isn't the problem aside from – what was it? Was it the game against Notre, Notre Dame, Dame that Dame. it was just kind of very, very questionable, right? That was the one game where it's like, okay, Caleb Williams did not have his day. But again, I mean, we go back to it. USC's defense cannot get them over the hump. They gave up 41 to Colorado. They gave up 41 to Arizona. Um, 48 to Notre Dame. Now 34 to Utah. Then even earlier in the season, 28 to Arizona State. You know, so I mean, it's it's just, I think for USC, obviously, it's frustrating because you have all the pieces offensively, but gosh, I mean, at this point, you just need one stop on defense, but you just can't seem to get it. And I mean, fortunately for them, they're playing Cal this this coming weekend, so that should be should, should be. be a win. And, but but yeah. again, with this defense, you don't really know what you're going to get. Luckily, that game's at three o'clock, so we don't yeah. have to do the the weekly us. Uh, Wake up until 2 a.m. to see yep. if USC gets upset uh, routine. Yep. Uh, last thing here on USC, then we'll move on. USC has a legitimate chance to go 7-5. and five. They are playing Cal this week, which, you know, as you said, Ian, should be. Come yep. on, let's go, guys. Should be a win. Then, Washington. Yeah. Oregon. UCLA. It's going to be a tough end of the season. Three ranked teams, two of which are in the top 10, two of which I think are two of the top Six, Six teams in the country. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's it's tough. It's and, and two two quarterbacks who are again two of the top five quarterbacks in the country. Good luck, guys. Yeah, it's pretty incredible how stacked the Pac-12 is. They're giving us some incredible games uh, this season, even towards the bottom of the conference as well. So up and down. It's just a. It's been a fun football conference. It's just unfortunate what is happening with the Pac-12 now. Moving on to our next game, Seth, you mentioned how in college football it seems like offense is king. Well, that was the opposite in this Big Ten matchup between Penn State and Ohio State where the Buckeyes survive with a 20-12 win. Penn State just cannot seem to get over the Ohio State hump, it feels like. Uh, It was a very interesting game, pretty obviously, of course, low scoring. But the difference in this game, from what I noticed, was Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, These two offenses are... What I noticed, pretty similar throughout this game, but Ohio State doesn't, or sorry, Penn State does not have Marvin Harrison Jr. Ohio State does. He had 11 catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown. He just made impact plays all throughout this game, and he was a big reason, in my opinion, why Ohio State was able to win this one. Yeah, it's that's the difference. It, he's literally 
the best player on the field, no matter who they're going to play, in my opinion, right? He's the third best player coming into this draft, I think, right? Behind Drake May and Caleb Williams, probably. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what that's what's the difference. The, very similar games. Two quarterbacks who are in their first year starting, uh, Drew Aller and Kyle McCord, both had really, you know, kind of eh games. Uh, Drew Aller, Penn State hadn't been throwing the ball deep, and everyone was like, why isn't Penn State throwing the ball deep? Well, we, f- <laughs> we found out why. It's because Drew Aller uh, can't do it. Apparently, 18 for 42 for 191 yards in a touchdown, a QB rating of 29.4 uh, for for uh, for Drew Aller. And even if you don't know what the quarterback rating stat means, just know that 29.4 is a little low. So uh, there's that. Uh, Kyle McCord didn't have that great of a game either, but he gets to throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Drew Aller doesn't. So that's the difference. Yeah, I, I mean that that really was the X factor, and um, I think. I was kind of wondering, like, okay, when is Ohio State going to put them away? Because it just felt like there were times where I, I really just was a little confused with some of the play calling, and then I thought, okay, like, Ohio State should – it felt like they should have been winning by a lot more, but then they just couldn't put them away. Shout-out to Penn State's defense because they did the best they could, and Ohio State did, did pretty solid. The fans over there uh, for Ohio State were getting a little agitated, like, okay, come on, what are we doing here? Um, so, but congrats to them. When was the last time Penn State beat Ohio State? It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while. I don't know if uh, y'all probably remember the game if y'all seen the highlights. It was in uh, Happy Valley. It was the the game where that uh, that blocked kick happened that was returned for a touchdown. It was a whiteout game. I don't remember what year it was. Twenty sixteen, I want to say. Mm. Okay, yeah. I'll we'll fact check this in a second, but it was. It's been. A little while, Saquon Barkley was on the football yes. team. Yeah. I think it was also. I'm gonna look this up in a second because I really want this to be right. But I think Trace McSorley was on the team. Oh, Trace McSorley, 2016. Yeah. It's it's been a while for Penn State. Yeah, um, I I really want to experience one of those Penn State games in the wideout. That looks yeah. so fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm I'm very grateful that I get to go to a school where you know there's big football games all the time and stuff, but. I want to see like a big, like a, you know, a big game a like big that. Big game, yeah, yeah. Big Ten. You 20, know, 2016 is the last time a 24-21 win in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay, uh, that was the last time they have lost each time since. Dang. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's been quite some time for the Nittany Lions. I, I I think Penn State is like top, like that's the number one ge- like experience i want to go to as a penn state whiteout yeah i i routinely watched the video of when they were playing michigan a couple years ago and michigan had to call a timeout on the first play because it was so loud yeah and, that they, was crazy. and they almost because they were going to have a delay a game yeah that yeah. was wild that virginia when they do uh interest salmon virginia tech oh yeah sorry virginia tech um dude and then tennessee with uh with rocky top oh my god so, That'd so, be so fun. Trace McSorley was playing in this game. <laughs> oh, let's go. Uh, he threw a, t- threw a touchdown to Chris Godwin. Oh, oh wow. I didn't know he went to... I, I did not know Chris Godwin went to Penn State. Doesn't look right, because now he's in Tampa. Doesn't so. look like a Pennsylvania type of guy. Yeah, so the schedule for Ohio State is pretty cupcake. You get Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota, and then, of course, the matchup with Michigan to quite potentially determine who goes to the college football playoff potentially i mean you know they both went last year they both went last year but 
if it depends on what happens with uh, Washington and Florida State, how yeah. they continue to keep on their heels. Yeah, it'll definitely determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game, yeah. who gets the privilege of facing Iowa. <laughs> but uh, even though Iowa lost in, in Iowa. In Iowa fashion. I, I, Iowa makes me laugh, guys. Yeah, Iowa lost in a pretty heartbreaking way to Minnesota. <laughs> we don't have to talk Minnesota. about Minnesota! Yeah, we don't have to talk about it too much. What we will talk about is an upset that I did not see coming. Seth, you mentioned last week that if you're gonna get if you're one in four and you're gonna get mentioned on this show, you have to do something pretty special. You gotta come up with a big upset. You do. Well, Virginia beat UNC thirty-one to twenty-seven. I have not watched a lick of Virginia football. I, I I will fully admit that. I don't think any of us really have. Nope. But I have to mention Tony Musket. Twenty for thirty, two hundred eight yards and a touchdown. <laughs> Tony. That a babe tone. That's an awesome last name, by the way. Musket. No, I, that, I just had to say That's it. Sick. Tony Musket. Uh, Drake May had 347 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, but a tough, tough loss for UNC to, to Virginia. It, yeah, UNC was undefeated. Uh, they were, you know, on a collision course, it felt like, with Florida State f- for competing for uh, an ACC title. And luckily, this game was on the CW, and I don't think oh half the country knows how to get to the CW <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, true. But uh, so not a lot of people saw it. But Virginia is two and five now. Let's look, recap this Virginia football season just to just to you know put in perspective how impressive this is that they beat number ten North Carolina. They lost forty nine to thirteen to Tennessee to open the season. Then they lost to James Madison thirty six thirty five. James Madison undefeated by yeah, the way. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, no slouch there. No slouch indeed. Maryland uh, they lost to Maryland forty two to fourteen. NC State twenty four to twenty one. They lost to Boston College twenty seven to twenty four. Uh, they're close wins, close losses. Beat William and Mary twenty-seven to thirteen, and then Tony Musket with a game of his life beats North Carolina thirty-one twenty-seven. I need Tony Musket to make it to the NFL somehow, so that awesome last name can continue. I, I I actually don't know what he looks like, but I would imagine he's got like a Gardner Minshew type face. Dude, he, he, that's he, what I was okay, thinking. Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay, we gotta see. This. I have Tony Musket's picture of right Tony now. Tony Musket. He, he looks. Oh, that—that's mm. not what I expected. Could you imagine that's not Tony, Tony Musket? Could you imagine Tony Musket shooting a musket though, like a like in the Revolutionary War? Yeah, I don't. I wish I wish Gardner Minshew was named Tony Musket now. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, uh, let's... he's a senior, draft eligible. So get this go. man. Yeah, get, get this man to the a, Ravens. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we would ha- we would love to see that. Ma- make Tony Musket the next Trace McSorley. Someone make a Tony Musket song. We're petitioning, Riff Ram Review petitioning for a Tony yes. Musket. Uh, he is now a certified Riff Ram Review legend, uh, joining uh, Rick DeBrew and Fan club, fan Jared club. Wiley. Um, <laughs> let's move on to another game. Uh, we haven't talked about Alabama in a few weeks, but they seem to be getting back on track. They were down 20-7 to to Tennessee, and they ended up winning 34-20. to uh, Quite a turnaround there for the Crimson Tide as... They have their their uh, sights still set on the college football playoff potentially. Certainly got to win out, but is this a sign? Like, can Alabama make some noise here, and and can they make a run here late? Uh, they're absolutely making the SEC t- championship game. Who is stopping them in the West mm. right now? Right? Not LSU. No. I am an LSU <laughs> hater. <laughs> they already 
played A and M, which probably would have been their other you know biggest competitor, and they beat them. So it's it's like who's going to stop them? They're undefeated in conference play. Yeah, it's they look at their schedule. The SEC in a down year, obviously. Uh, they play LSU this next. Uh, no, they have the bye week. The next week they play LSU. Then Kentucky. Then Chattanooga, and then they play Auburn. Yeah, that uh, you would think uh, you could you could win out there. And then and, they get the privilege of playing Georgia, and we'll see what happens. And um, I'm yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if I mean if they can beat Georgia, they certainly would make a case. And it's just. Just when you think Nick Saban has lost his touch, yeah. Just when you think Alabama's done, they come right back, and they they are just a powerhouse that will not go away. Yeah, and and I think you know for Alabama and and Alabama fans, I mean it's it's nice because you're finally seeing the you know consistency, and that's probably one of the most frustrating things as a fan is an in, is in an sorry oh boy is an inconsistent team. There we go. When you don't see consistency on the field, it's very, very frustrating. And it finally seems that Alabama's finding their way through what you know what were some early season rough patches, but now they they've kind of got it figured out. You know? Yeah. So. Milrow's gotten some more experience yep. under his belt. Now I think I think like mentally for him, those first couple of weeks, he was like, "Am I yeah. cemented as the starting quarterback?" He got benched in that South Florida game. They looked absolutely horrible, so they went back to him. And even though he's not Bryce Young, he's not Tua, he's not Mac Jones, even right? He's playing better. He's getting his. He, he's he's using his legs. That's his best aspect, and he can really throw a beautiful deep ball. It's that you know kind of intermediate accuracy that's kind of the problem. But uh, he's he's getting into his role and. Certainly, he's not playing, you know, world beaters right now. We'll see how they do against LSU. Uh, spoiler alert, LSU can't defend anybody. So, uh, I, I think Alabama should be fine. And then, you, and then as you said, you get Kentucky, Chattanooga in the... Poor Chattanooga. That's such a... I hate how that happens at the end of the season. They get... Uh, the SEC gets these cupcake matchups. Chattanooga? At 11 a.m. Tune in. Are you kidding me? Uh and uh, then Auburn, which, yeah. you know, Auburn, they're not great, but those games are usually, I mean, it's a rivalry game. So. Oh, yeah. And if they hate th- each other, they have a quarterback, they'd be a little. Um, Amen. Yeah. You know, I have some, no, a couple other names real quick for Tennessee. Squirrel White, 10 Squirrel catches, White. 111 yards and a touchdown. And uh, McKellen Castles. <laughs> Castles? Like Sandcastle? McKellen Castles. Castles. Two catches, 12 yards, and a touchdown. The two uh, Tennessee receivers that got Marquarius Malik White, known as Squirrel White. Interesting. That's so... What a name. Amazing. I think I've heard of... I've heard Squirrel White. Squirrel. Yeah. Do you, you think, do you think they do that? They probably do. Yeah. Joe Milton, by the way, has a cannon. I don't know if y'all seen him throw a football. It's like a bazooka. He has a bazooka arm. Does he? Yeah. yeah it's he, just a bazooka he, he, he right on his arm. You just don't know where. Yeah. You just don't know where it's going sometimes. <laughs> but it's gonna go far. Yeah. It, I mean, hey, he didn't throw an interception on Saturday, yeah. so he he kept that bazooka in check. Um, they didn't score a point in the second half, but the bazooka was in check. Yeah. They, it was kept out of harm's way. Uh, So that will wrap things up here for our college football talk. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the American League Championship Series between the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers. You're listening to Riff Ram Review right here on KTCU The Choice. Nobody ever says, it's just cancer. Get over it. Or snap out of it. It's just diabetes. And who would ever say, it's nothing serious. It's just heart disease. 
But you do hear those words about people living with another serious illness. It's called depression, and it threatens the lives of more than 15 million Americans. Like heart disease, its symptoms can be misleading. Like diabetes, it's biologically based. And like cancer, it can be fatal. So what we should say is what doctors, medical professionals, and other experts say. Depression can be treated. Which is why those who have overcome it say... Getting treatment is like getting your life back. Depression is real, but so is hope. Learn more at depressionisreal.org. Supported by a coalition of organizations, including the American Psychiatric Foundation, the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, and the League of United Latin American Citizens. Welcome back, everybody, to Riff Ram Review here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. My name's Ian Napetian, and tonight I'm joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle. Um, gosh, we just finished up talking about college football, and now we got to get into a little bit of a recap of this ALCS series between the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. I know you guys are absolutely pumped, but let's go quickly listen to the final call because we haven't heard this for a long, long time, folks. The call from Joe Davis after the Rangers punched their ticket to the World Series. Grounded a second. Two years removed from losing 100. The Rangers have won the pennant. For the first time since 2011, the Rangers are going to the World Series after having six consecutive losing seasons. Enough to make me cry, man. So basic. We really buried the lead putting this in the third segment. Okay, guys. This is an outstanding uh, weekend in DFW sports. Yes. The fact that it happened on a Cowboys bye week makes this even better. <laughs> um, and, oh, man, I just don't even, I don't, I don't even, I don't have words. I, I, I a lot of poetic words I thought came out of my mouth, hopefully, the seconds <laughs> after this out. But, man, it just, there's been a lot of pain and a lot of suffering yep. for this franchise since 2016, even probably before that. I mean, for 51 years, well, if we're going to be honest. And yeah. to just finally get back. I know they haven't won it yet, but it's you're there. It's still a huge achievement, yeah. right? I mean, two years ago, the Rangers were 60 and 102. Last year, they were 68 and 96. Four. Oh, sorry, 94. Yeah. Um, right, so I mean, it's an it's imaginable what the Rangers have achieved this season, and I just again, I think it's crazy, and and this isn't to give all the credit to Bruce Bochy, but man, this guy's retired for two, three seasons. You bring him out of retirement, and you say, hey, this is the job for you, you know, what what can you do? And look where he's brought the team. I mean, this team has gelled so incredibly well with each other. They started the season off to you know like they they started the season amazingly and they kept that up all season yes they lost the al west to the astros but man i mean this this postseason run that they've been on the way that they flicked the switch in their head to just rake to have their pitching staff be unhittable it's 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 been pretty crazy yeah it always felt like the rangers getting to the world series was going to be probably a few years away 
Going into this season, I had them winning 80 to 85 games. I did not think they were going to make it to the World Series, so this is massively overachieving in my book, but now you have an opportunity to win the whole thing. But it's it's been incredible what Bruce Bochy and Chris Young has really done uh, to bring in a core of Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, build out the pitching staff, bring in a veteran pitching coach who's been with the organization before with Mike Maddox, bring in Bruce Bochy, who's won the title multiple times. It's been a, a master class of developing a team that can compete for a championship. And the fact that they were able to do it against their in-state rival in Houston, who's had so much success, means a lot. Let's talk about the games a little bit. So where we last left off last week, we talked about games one and two, which yep. were won by the Texas Rangers in Houston. While we were on the air, uh, they were playing game three. The Rangers ended up losing that game. It really was never close. Houston got out in front early. Uh, the Rangers tried to claw back, but never really could. Uh, the Houston bullpen shut it down. We get to game four. Uh, I am in attendance. I am sitting in section 309. <laughs> Once again, this like uh, literally a couple seats away from where I was for game three. So I thought I wore the same thing. I was like, the mojo. We need yep. the mojo. Uh, the Rangers went out there and put up a little stinker. A little yeah. stinker against the Astros. <laughs> Andrew Heaney got two outs yeah. to start the game. It was a little stinker. Uh, the Astros cruise and they win. Uh, Zion, what are your thoughts? It's 2-2. Two -two. Uh, I was scared. <laughs> and then in game five, I'm like, oh my gosh, Adolis Garcia when he hits the three-run homer we might win this. Mm -hmm. Jose Altuve. Okay. Jose Altuve uh, and Oriordan Alvarez, even though the Rangers won this series, uh, I just want to give a, a, a... I have a, a lot of respect for Jordan Alvarez and how good of a hitter he is. Yep. Uh, he was not on that 2017 team, so I do not yep. have any you know, ill will yep. towards him at all. Uh, but he is just such a awesome hitter no matter who the rangers threw at him who no, no matter who the twins threw at him in this postseason no one could get him out yeah. he was even the some of the pitches he was hitting it's like man that's seven feet outside the strike zone yeah. and you just hit it off the wall yeah it was it was crazy but game five as you mentioned zion was the most absolute devastating gut punch me as a rangers fan has ever had they had it and then it, to, to see how euphoric of a, of a moment that Garcia Homer was, which we'll, we'll touch more on Garcia because that's the story for me of this of this series oh, and yeah. this postseason so far. Uh, just how euphoric of a moment that was, and then the little man just snatches it out of his hand, <laughs> out of your hands, like he's done to m so little many man. teams, yep. so many times. Yeah, it's it's funny because I I was back home this weekend in in California, and so I, I was watching the game on my phone in the car, and I was like, okay, so they have eight, nine, and one coming up, and they're down by what is it, two runs, two. right? And so I'm like, wow, okay, eight, nine, and one. Astros haven't really flipped the order that much this season, so you kind of need it to happen soon. And then what happens? Eight and nine get on. Altuve clubs one over the wall, and that was that was just like it was more just like a holy cow. Like he, you know, the Astros can come out of They're nothing, right? And 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 just show up, right? And and inevitable is the word, right? You can never really count the Astros out. And after that, I was kind of like, okay, that might have been all they needed to go home and just grab one of the next two. And then you get to game six, and Rangers, you know, make it nice and quick, nine to two, get to game seven. And just like you said, Seth, I was talking to you, you're like, it kind of settled in by the fourth, fifth inning that we were going to get this. 
it wasn't the feeling that you were exactly expecting to have when that when the rangers you know punch their punch their ticket to the world series so yeah so let's talk about game six because you kind of ian uh it was not an easy breezy nine to two no uh it got to nine to two because of one of the most euphoric moments in rangers history yeah. the most uh screw you to a fan base moment i think i've ever seen in my entire life so game five happens the fight happens in game five before the Altuve homer where Abreu hits Garcia uh, the rare moment where the hitter gets hit and then turns to the catcher uh, yes. you don't see that quite often yep. uh, and there's uh, Garcia gets thrown out and Abreu gets thrown out and he gets suspended for two games a little controversial right was it intentional was it not because it was in a situation where if you're hitting them on intentionally and you're trying to still win the game you're kind of dumb mm-hmm. right yeah uh, but it ended up not mattering the Astros win Altuve uh, uh, Abreu's suspension ends up, you know, getting offset to yeah. next season. So they're playing the A's to open the year next year, Ian, and yes. Brian Abreu will not be available yes. for games one and two. Woo! Let's go, baby. <laughs> there you go. Start the season right, man. Uh, oh. But then, you know, Garcia enters game six. The Rangers are up, but Garcia has struck out four times, and each time he has been booed louder than I've heard anyone booed in a long time. Right, even yep. Altuve or any of the Astros, I haven't. I think Alex Rodriguez is the last person I heard yes. booed that loudly in, in, in Boston. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he 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 was clearly swinging to hit a homer. Oh yeah, he was swinging, he was swinging wildly. Yeah, he was clearly swinging to hit a homer. I don't necessarily blame him. He's trying to make a statement. The bases are loaded. The Rangers are up five to two. The game is anywhere but over because we just saw what happened in Game Five, and we know. That this Astros team is can come out of uh, come out of nowhere and just like that, you know, make their statement made. Garcia lifts one into the Crawford boxes, a line like just a, he got it out of there in two seconds, makes his statement. Uh, Rangers win, move on to Game Seven, and then in Game Seven, Zion, what happened? What did it always Garcia do? Well, he just decided I'm going to take the city of Houston as my own and uh, just plant real estate right in Minute Maid Park. That dude was a man on a mission in that game. It was really impressive to watch. He was obviously seeing the ball very well, getting the ball up. You know, uh, I think they definitely made some adjustments against Christian Javier, getting on top of the ball and, and getting their hands up up on top of the ball. And, uh, yeah, Dolis Garcia was a madman in that game. It was really fun to watch. And it – it sort of felt like the uh, Mavericks versus Suns game seven uh, a couple years ago in the second round where it was a blowout against a team I did not like at all. And I was just like, let's go. But, oh, wow, this isn't close at all. It was crazy. It was unexpected, right? Yeah, and oh, yeah. just to hear the air out of that building quickly, I think the, the Corey Seager homer to start the game, you oh, know, just, it set the tone. That's the most emotion I've seen out of Corey Seager in his time here, I don't know yeah. about if you can if you agree with that oh, yeah. or or you too. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen him that animated. Yeah. He's just he's usually just like a baseball robot mm-hmm. where he just goes out there and like I you hit do your job. I hit ball yep. hard. I I field ball. Go home, eat dinner, come back, do it again. Yeah. But he was he was electric. That really you know, I feel like got the team fired up. They yep. go out and score three runs. Yeah. And then you know Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, they kind of piggyback off one another and get and get it done. Uh, and the Rangers didn't really have to stress. I, I mean, it probably was stressful. It was stressful for a, a lot, but, you yeah. know, 
it was kind of a dud of a game seven if you're looking for something really entertaining from a neutral fan's perspective. But uh, props to the Rangers. Uh, the Astros go home. Uh, they will not win a World Series uh, this year, which is uh, you know no comment on that. Uh, no, no back-to-back champs in Major League Baseball for mm-hmm. over two decades now. Yeah. Well, the only sport in 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 America that that has happened. Isn't that crazy? Over two decades. Yeah, over wow. two, that is pretty funny. Over the last two decades. I, I would like to make a comment about Houston not making the World Series. That sucks, doesn't it? That sucks. You lost your in-state rival, the the team that you've called little bro for the last seven seasons, and. You know what? You had to watch Adolis Garcia, your father, just hit nukes all over the field. He hit an oppo taco. That, I, I feel like I don't see that enough from Adolis Garcia. That's how well he was seeing the baseball. The man you were booing just owned y'all, and it was amazing. But, you know, we got, we got the upper hand. I'll give I'll give you a little bit of credit, I guess, for the last seven years, but we we take the last. Act like laugh. you've been there before. <laughs> That's Diane soapbox of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rangers win the pennant. They head to their first World Series since 2011. Yeah. Uh, Ian, you kind of mentioned it. Bruce Bochy, his presence. You know, you can debate however much you want how much credit a manager should get for a baseball team success. Certainly, I think there should be credit given to Bruce Bochy in his yeah. way, even if it's just just the calmness that he brings, the steadiness. Of, hey, no matter what, yeah. this season was filled with ups and downs, yeah. lows and high, and, and mountains and valleys. And he was always just, all right, guys. You know what? Doesn't matter. We're gonna go out. We're gonna get him next time. Right? Yeah. Every single time. Uh, and it's always cool to hear him uh, post game. Let's let's listen to, to Bruce's speech uh, after the game in the, in the ensuing champagne celebration. First of all, I'm going to tell you what an honor and privilege it is to manage such an incredible team with so much heart and determination. Came in here against all odds. You went to Tampa. You went to Baltimore. I can't say I've ever seen more heart. So thanks, and I'm going to add this. Congrats on wearing the horns in Texas. And going to the World Series. That's awesome. I love that. I would pay so much money to be in that locker room. Max Scherzer. It's like, we're going to the World Series. We're going to the World Series. He's just crazy. Oh, my gosh. It was so much fun. I cannot stress enough how amazing a celebration like that is. For me, I play, it's not nearly the weight of it, but I played high school. We won the championship, high school baseball section championship, and a celebration like that is so euphoric. It's amazing. So I don't understand the full weight of winning an ALCS and going to the World Series versus a high school section championship, but it is such an amazing feeling, and yeah. it was really cool to see them celebrate like that. It was fun. A good time. Uh, it's, a, it's a great feeling for a city that you know has lacked baseball success for a long time um it, it, it's it's something that I, I will cherish for a very a very long time in my heart even no matter how the season ends uh it, it's just good this what what a gift of a baseball season this has been this was not expected yep. um it, it just just an awesome gift to to me and so many other rangers fans and uh i hope that uh, my message to y'all is that i hope that you just just live in the moment cherish it uh you never know when this is going to happen again um it's just an awesome feeling and an awesome time. Let's let's go play the Diamondbacks, which we're going to talk about next. Uh, it, let's do it, guys. Let's just have a good time and, and see how this goes on Friday and Saturday. Perfectly said, Seth.
Yep, exactly. Well, the Texas Rangers advancing to the 2023 World Series to take on the Arizona Diamondbacks, who in the next segment, we will talk about how they took two from Citizens Bank Park. You're listening to Riff Ram Review here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back live at the National Butt Out Finals, and we're down to our last contestant, A.J. Langer. He's all fired up. We can see smoke coming out of his nose, and there's a big cloud of smoke around his head. And there he goes. It's out. He put his butt out in 2.6 seconds. Now the judges are checking his butt to make sure every bit of combustible material is extinguished. A thumbs up. A new world record for extinguishing a cigarette. 2.6 seconds. Lori is with A.J. Lori? AJ, how did you get so good at putting your butt out? Well, Lori, I burnt the house down. I was a careless smoker. So you learned the hard way. Hard and costly way. You have any tips for the smokers out there? Oh, you get a sturdy ashtray, you push down hard, and twist with the wrist. Right. And let's see who can beat 2.6 seconds. Smoking is the number one cause of preventable home fire deaths. Check out usfa.dhs.gov smoking. A message from the U.S. Fire Administration and firefighters everywhere. Welcome back to episode 9 of Riff Ram Review right here on KTCU The Choice. I'm Zion Trammell here with Ian Nepetian and Seth Dowdle. The song never gets old, I, I gotta say, Seth. It's amazing. We're going to be talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, beating the Phillies in seven games in the National League Championship Series to advance to the World Series. Wow. I don't think anybody saw that coming. You know, maybe some people might have thought the Rangers... Might have had a, a shot. I don't think anyone picked the Diamondbacks. Uh, in the beginning of this postseason, they they squared off against the Brewers, and we all co- collectively and quickly, decisively, agreed. Brew crew? Brew crew? Brew crew. Okay. We, I, pick, I picked the Brewers to go to the World Series. I mean, guys. we literally didn't. I think we talked about that series for maybe a couple minutes. I, I don't even know if we did at all. I think it was like three to five minutes. Yeah, we're just like, yep, the Brewers should walk right through them, and they're going to get a win. But here they are now in the World Series. Unbelievable. And forcing, well, allegedly forcing Chris Mad Dog Russo into retirement. There is a yes. clip that we have to play here. Uh, to make a long story short, I've been wrong in Arizona from day one. I, I, a, I'm stunned to beat Milwaukee. I thought they'd get swept by the Dodgers. I never thought they'd even go back to Philly for a game six. Uh, I'll try it one more time. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored. floored. And I'll say this right now. Just to, I'll say this right now. And Bob Raceman, write it down. If they win the next two days, they win the next two games. And win this series in seven games. If they win, I will. I will retire on the spot. And they did. They won. And uh, he showed up on first take today. Showed up on high heat. Still going. I don't think anyone actually expected him to retire, but I did. Kind of a bold uh, prediction there, or bold take to make. Very bold, yeah. I mean, if I was his boss, he'd be like, hey, Mad Dog, you can't give us this little time to try to replace you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? no. yeah. Maybe Professor uh, Lamandola can, can, yeah. can talk to him. Exactly. Guys, you know, he can text him, hey, hey buddy, what did what, 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 you say there? Mad Dog. Well, what was that? What, what was that? But Matt, hey, talking about retirement, though, I feel like he'd probably like be fine retiring. Honestly, he could. He's he had, could go anywhere. He's Long made a happy career. Exactly. He's made enough of a legacy and an impact yeah. on sports media. 
Yeah. Anyway, Diamondbacks. Yes. Uh, this postseason has been my favorite because of the emergence of two of my favorite pitchers ever. Brandon Fott, the best rookie the ever to exist. And then the gink god, Kevin Ginkle, has not allowed a run in the postseason. The gink god. Zion, when we get to our World Series preview next segment, the gink god is going to be a prevalent member of this Diamondbacks team. Yes, he has been outstanding for the Diamondbacks out of the bullpen. He had a very difficult situation in Game 7 coming in. Uh, with runners on, was it first and second, I believe? Yep, one out, out. Yep, for one Trey out. Turner yeah. and Bryce Harper. And he got both of them out without giving up a run. That Trey Turner at bat, I'm just going to say it. Trey Turner is a great player, but man, that was a horrible at bat. Yeah. That was a horrible Trey at-bat. Turner finished 0 for 21 to finish the NLCS. Yep. Nick Castellanos hit a homer in his first at bat. Uh, hit five homers over the span of three games in the NLDS and then the NLCS, proceeded to go 0 for 22 for the rest of the series. You just cannot win a postseason series when two of your stars, particularly one of Trey Turner and Castellanos' caliber, go out there and put up an 0 for 40 or whatever it was. Yeah. You just can't do it. You cannot do it. And uh, Kevin Ginkle was just lights out. And same with Paul Sewell. They they were both terrific for the Diamondbacks. But – yeah, for the Phillies, that seemed to be the issue. Is uh, you, you can't have your two star, two year star hitters going just stone cold. You okay there, Seth? Sorry, it just really made <laughs> was me. Was that a cough? It, it sounded me. like you coughed, and then halfway through, you killed your mic. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was too late. It was too late. Uh, let's That's talk. Funny. Can I talk about that Gink God performance a little bit more here? Yeah, yes. absolutely. There's a couple. There's a lot of. This, there's a lot of layers that I want to peel back that yes. that are not all explicit. Peel them. So. Trey Turner, just a horrible at bat, right? And he looked lost. He oh, tried yeah. to bunt earlier in the game, yep. and I kind of thought that it was like a sign that was given. Uh, no, he wanted to just do it himself because he was in such a funk that he was trying to just figure out something. Obviously, Trey Turner's fast. I don't know if he's a good bunter. I don't think he is, but uh, he probably could. If, I mean, if he lays a good one down, he's going to beat it out. But anyway, uh, he gets out, and then two outs for Bryce Harper. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm having flashbacks to last year when he hit that awesome homer against the Padres that essentially sent him to the World Series. Yeah. The swing of his life. Yeah. Yep. Having flashbacks. And honestly, it's like, okay, give me something, Bryce. Yeah. Because if he gets a pitch to hit, it's going 450. Yeah. And he did. Fastball, middle away. He hits it 107 miles an hour. Just under. But he just underneath it yep. and pops out to center field yep. by millimeters. If he if the batter has just moved a couple of millimeters, and yep. that ball hits a little bit to the left or the right on the barrel, the Phillies take the lead, likely win the game. But instead, Ginkle gets out of it. He goes back out for the eighth and has probably one of the most dominant relief innings I have seen in a long time. These swings, he strikes out the side. The swings by the Phillies were not even close. And what was so crucial about that is since that was one two three and it was four five six that were coming up for the Phillies that sets up seven eight nine and Schwarber who has been on fire all series who would have won the NLCS MVP had the Phillies won does not get a chance to bat in the ninth and instead it's up to Jake Cave Jake Cave man against yeah. Paul Sewell that is why Ginkle's performance was so important because yep. you don't allow Schwarber to get a shot at it yeah I, I I totally agree and I mean that's one thing that I want to highlight as well is just 
there's, I mean, this this Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen has been kind of their savior. It's been their constant throughout the postseason, even when they've had to, you know, win games that were tight where the Diamondbacks didn't score as many runs. But, I mean, between Ryan Thompson, Kevin Ginkle, and Paul Sewald, I was looking at some of their stats and combined, you know, those three combined, they have a .84 ERA over 27 and two-thirds innings pitched, 32 strikeouts, and a .86 whip. Damn. That is like it's it's like the big three of a bullpen. I mean, it's these are your guys, and what what I think what's crazy is that it's just these guys have done it all postseason. Ryan Thompson gave up a couple runs. He, he I think he had like one kind of tough outing that's fairly early on. But to have these three guys at your disposal and to come in and to quiet a a lineup like the Phillies have, right? You know, Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Bohm. Those first four are real tough. Bryson Stott knows how to get on base. JT Romuto's one of the best hitting catchers in the league. Castellanos gets hot. Brandon Marsh and Johan Rojas, that's kind of where it drops off. But again, there's not many holes in this lineup. And for these relievers to come in every single game, not on much rest, but you come into these tough situations and to just get out of it and seem so relaxed and calm. Again, what I, I mean, they've they've got a couple of rookies. Even um, even though Saul Frank has like a four something, five something ERA, he's come into some big situations, and it tells you that Terry Lavello has faith in his bullpen, and he's not afraid to throw certain guys out. I know Saul Frank didn't have a great outing last night, but again, I mean that's kind of what's been. The one constant with the the Diamondbacks all postseason, it's just their bullpen has been able to shut down any opponent. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here and see if y'all are kind of thinking the same way as I am. Is there a team that the Diamondbacks remind you of, a World Series winning team of of past years that the Diamondbacks remind you of? Because I have one that comes to my mind like almost immediately. Do you ask it because, like, in terms of their bullpen type thing, or just what? the construction of the roster and how the team plays? The Nationals? Uh, no. Oh, gosh, I mean, hold on, I gotta think about who's playing. <laughs> um, Royals. The 2014-2015 yeah. Royals really remind me of this yeah. Diamondbacks team, a team that's an underdog, a team that all that you have to do right now is get it to the sixth and the seventh, and then they will be fine because they have those guys right now that are on fire. Uh, it's a team full of scrappy young players who are fast. They like to play small ball. They're not full of stars. It's it's a team that it was an underdog the entire season. They weren't expected to be here. Uh, it, it, a lot of parallels for me uh, to that to that Royals team, obviously. And then here is the other parallel. The first time that Royals, you know, they made that ascent to the top. They made it to the World Series. Who did they face in 2014? Bruce Bochy in the San Francisco Giants. And here we are again. Bruce Bochy is going to be facing a team that is scrappy, that is young, that is full of, you know, a lot of up-and-coming players in yep. a bullpen that has been lights out. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in our next segment as far as matchups and whatnot. But, yeah, the Diamondbacks, they just really have caught fire at the right time. They've got Cattell Marte and Corbin Carroll who have been swinging the bat really well. Uh, they, they've got some r- real talent there. I think people, including myself, are still going to underestimate these Diamondbacks, but they are are just chugging along here. And they had a similar situation here with the Rangers, is that they were down three to two. They went, they go on the road, and they win in a ballpark 
that is not easy to win in. The Phillies are 49 and 32 this season at home. Um, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty good. I would say what the Diamondbacks did probably was a little more impressive to me than what the Rangers did because the Astros have struggled at home, and what the Diamondbacks did against against the Phillies. I mean, it seemed pretty improbable that they were going to pull this off. The Phillies fans were not singing AOK as uh, excitingly as they had in the first few games. Yeah, and I mean to your point, right? Citizens Bank is just it's it's a completely different atmosphere. And again, for just to reiterate the fact, for an Arizona Diamondbacks team that is so young, inexperienced, you haven't been there before, you know, at this at this level, right? And to be going into Citizens Bank at this time. In late October in the NLCS, they handled it perfectly. Their pitching handled it perfectly. Their hitters handled it perfectly. Ketel Marte, to your point, he set a new playoff record, uh, sorry, uh, a postseason record with hits in 16 consecutive games. I mean, you know, and, and it's just like, I mean, and, and, and this kind of why I like the Diamondbacks so much is just they're, you don't know what they can offer until they offer it. And you're just like, okay. Did not see that coming. That's really interesting, right? And then, but but I mean, just as a whole, the way the Diamondbacks have held them, themselves, I didn't think they were getting out of Philly. The minute that they were matched up with the Phillies, I was like, okay, I'll give them one game, maybe game five, maybe game six, but definitely not seven to go win two over in uh, in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, to quiet that crowd is an impressive feat and one that not many people have done. You said you mentioned their impressive record at home. In the regular season, they were undefeated in the postseason going into Game 6 two days ago. And the Diamondbacks wiped the floor with them. I mean, it never really felt like the Phillies were in it, right? I'm, even when they took the lead, the Diamondbacks answered swiftly and promptly and, and took took it right back and, and, and never gave it back. One thing that's going to be really, uh, I think, missed and, and is going to be swept under the radar because of the Diamondbacks winning this game was Zach Wheeler comes yes. in and out of relief and is awesome. He threw one of the most the nastiest sweeper to Gabriel Moreno oh, I yeah. think I've seen in my entire life. And uh, I think this Phillies team is the, – the difference between last year and this year's disappointment for Philadelphia is that last year – they were coming. They were like, "All right, we weren't expected to be here. We made this awesome playoff run based off like purely, purely vibes, right? It almost felt like this is the start of something." And then this was supposed to be that something, right? Even though they didn't win the division, they were carrying themselves as a top tier Major League Baseball team, and yeah. they, in my opinion, they were that, right? And then they fall flat. They collapse. And you can kind of point to a lot. You can't really point to one singular thing. You could maybe point to in Game Four when Kimbrel, you know, pooped the bed, yeah. and and then gave the game to the Diamondbacks. You know, letting them back into the series to tie it too. But you win Game Five, going into Game Six and Seven, you got two shots at your ballpark where you've been awesome, and you just couldn't get it done. A, a lot of questions the Phillies are going to have this offseason. They got some free agents. Uh, Reese Hoskins, who didn't play, obviously, is a free agent. Uh, Aaron Nola is a free agent. So uh, interesting to see how they go. But the Diamondbacks, this is a this is a podcast and a show about winners. And the Diamondbacks are going to the World Series. Uh, what would, How much money would you all have been willing to bet on the Diamondbacks World Series to, to make it to the World Series in March? Like five bucks. Yeah, five, ten bucks. Like just throw away money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
it's it wasn't very wasn't I was not confident at all, especially in that NL West where the Dodgers yep. and the Padres were the two top most talked about teams in baseball. Giants had really good success. The Diamondbacks were always just eh, they're there, they they exist, and now they're they're in the World Series. So big congratulations to Arizona. This is going to be a tremendous, tremendously interesting series. Uh, I think people are complaining that it's not as exciting is it's not powerhouse teams but it's a fun one uh, we're going to be talking about that next year with the texas rangers and the arizona diamondbacks in the 2023 world series preview you're listening to riff ram review right here on ktcu the choice you wanted to see me yes please have a seat so here's the thing when this company brought you on we took a chance on you you didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for right but we gave you a shot anyway And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Riff Ram Review here on KTCU, the choice, your choice for college radio. My name is Ian Apichin, and tonight I'm joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle. We just got finished talking about the NLCS series between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Philadelphia Phillies, where the Diamondbacks marched into Citizens Bank Park and grabbed two vital games against the Phillies to advance to the World Series for the first time since 2002? What was it? 2004? One, 2001. Oh, 2001. Okay, 2001. So, Diamondbacks and Rangers, we, we talked a little bit about it before, but, man, who would have thought these two teams would end up here as the last two standing? I mean, just just absolutely crazy uh, for both teams who two years ago were both 100-game losers. But now we're here. Rangers will host the first two games and it'll go onto the road into um into arizona for three games and then back to texas for two if those are necessary but man how are you guys feeling entering this because i know there's a lot of you know debate over okay you know is this really going to be a tight series is it going to be as close as people would hope it would be just curious to hear what what you guys think especially as ranger fans I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be tough. I think both the teams from the NL, whether it was going to be Philly or, or Arizona, are, present challenges. While they are different challenges, both have their you know strengths. And for Arizona's strengths, it's we, what we kind of talked about in the last segment of a scrappy team that plays like an underdog uh, because they're treated like one, and they go out there and they prove people wrong uh, using you know tactics that are. Are, are ancient in baseball to some extent, right? They they play small ball. They steal. They they uh, they make they make contact. They don't hit for for a lot of power necessarily. Uh, that's that's what they do well. Uh, their bullpen is is locked down here in the postseason. So that's that's the challenge for the Rangers. But Arizona, you know, they're playing a team that's mashing right now. They're they're hot. Yeah. Uh, and, and and when those two starting pitchers for Texas, Evaldi and, and Montgomery are on, they're on 
a lot. Yeah. And and so that's that's the challenge for for Arizona is can they hit enough? And the challenge for Texas is can you keep the speedsters contained and and can you get to that bullpen? Yeah, well, you're pretty lucky when you have uh, one of the best defensive catchers in baseball with Jonah Heim who can hopefully uh, slow down that running game a little bit. But, yeah, this is a very exciting matchup. I think as a Rangers fan's perspective, you just didn't want to go to Philly and play in that ballpark. You would much rather go to Chase Field. But I'm not sleeping on Arizona. They are obviously deserved to be here. They worked really hard, and they fought for these wins. So I'm excited for this matchup. Uh, But I think the difference between the Rangers and the Phillies for Arizona is – you know they face a good offense already but the rangers are even better like they don't really have any holes one through nine while marcus simeon and Corey seager kind of struggled at times in the alcs the rest of them the guys you know picked them up and whereas trey turner and you know nick cassianos as we mentioned were just completely out of the picture you know simeon and seager they they had some moments where you know whether it was on defense or just coming up with a big home run like seager did that's going to be the difference is that this is a much better Rangers offense that Arizona will have to go up against. But it's a unique challenge here for the Rangers with Arizona. Yeah, and, and that was kind of going to be my next little topic of discussion, right, is looking at these lineups and looking at the, the pitching staffs, whether it's the starting pitching or the bullpen, right? Because I look at these two lineups offensively, right, and right now it's really hard to pick out a hole in the Rangers lineup i mean you get down the 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 batting order and sometimes you'll have evan carter hitting seventh josh young in eighth or the, they flip and flop and then you have uh leote Tavares batting ninth and he's done wonders this this postseason and flipping the batting order now when i kind of look at the diamondbacks and i think for the rangers this will be more of the cases you have a centralized attack that you need to try to like that you try to that that you have to try to muffle, right? You have your top four, maybe top five guys, but then after that, it's a bit of a mix. You're not really sure exactly what you're going to get. Some of the guys lower in the batting order for the Diamondbacks might find their stride, but you really got to be careful of Cattell Marte and Corbin Carroll up top. Yeah, but luckily for Arizona, well, for actually for Texas, is that Arizona does not have a Jordan Alvarez. So yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm very thankful that they do not that Jordan Alvarez does not get to continue playing in this postseason against the Texas Rangers because man oh man that was just annoying. Yeah, it's 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 a definitely a series that I think. All right, soapbox time. If you are complaining that this is not fun because these are not two quote unquote big name brands, then you are a true baseball fan because you just haven't because it's not the Yankees in in the Red Sox or, or or the Phillies aren't here and the Braves aren't here right this these are two teams this is good for baseball that these two teams are here these are two fan bases that have been down on their luck for a very long time and have been uh, regenerated this season and to to get a lot of new fans into the game that aren't just Yankees fans or Red Sox fans or Phillies fans or Braves fans or whoever, Dodgers fans, Astros fans, to get new people loving baseball late into October is good. And that's what we've gotten with this series. And 
it just because it's not a conventional matchup doesn't mean that you shouldn't watch, in my opinion. That is what I have to say because I've seen a lot of discourse over the internet ever since Arizona caught, ever since Corbin Carroll caught that fly ball from Jake Cave to go to the World Series. I saw a lot of discourse of like, well, I'm not watching. I don't care. It's like, okay, that's fine, but you don't have to belittle people who do because there are plenty of people outside of Phoenix and DFW that find a lot of interest in this in this game because there are a lot of interesting storylines. There's up-and-coming stars. Mm-hmm. There are stars, right? Uh, you got the Evan Carters and Josh Youngs versus the Corbin Carrolls, right? That's kind of fun, right? This is the new... The, the the new wave of baseball players coming in right uh, and then you got the 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 established veterans uh like zach gallon and merrill kelly on the mound for arizona like Corey seager and marcus simeon on the rangers side who are are, are going to be might not be prominent figures you know out there on new balance deals and commercials but they're they're stars in this game so it's it's fun to see those people reach the top yeah i mean this series as unconventional as it is to me, it makes it even more exciting for that very reason, right? No one expected to see the Rangers here. Nobody in a million years expected to see the Diamondbacks here. And now these are two very young teams in their own right, right? I mean, Diamondbacks are young and inexperienced. The Rangers are more—they've got some young guns, but it's also guys that are at that point of saying, hey, we've got a good team here, and we've been working at this. Let's win something now. And, I mean, that that's, that again, that the unconventional aspect of it is what makes it so exciting. I mean, as a fan of, of the Oakland A's, I always hate to see the same old big-name big, big name teams in the World Series. You're like, okay, yep, this is classic baseball. This is how, you know, we were playing on an uneven playing field type of, you know, argument, you know, in, in that type of topic. But when you see these two teams in here right i mean rangers aside but it's like it tells you that you can't just buy your way to a championship and i'm not saying the rangers have because they haven't yet but seeing a team like the diamondbacks make it seem like seeing a team like the rangers who have had so much trouble over the last five six seasons it's like this is good for baseball it may not be what everybody wants but this is going to be much more beneficial for baseball as opposed to having a Yankees and Phillies or something mm-hmm. of, of that Astros and Braves again. Yeah. Uh, just to comment on your Rangers haven't. Yes, the Rangers have spent a lot of money to get here, and that's good, right? That's what you want out of an mm-hmm. owner. You want you know them to spend and then add on top of the talent that's coming from within, and that's what the Rangers have done. That's exactly. why the team is now successful yep. is that they have spent a lot of money yep. on guys like Seager and Simeon DeGrom, obviously not pitching and then they go and trade for veterans like mm-hmm. Scherzer and Montgomery and, and, and Chapman and all those people. But then you supplement those pieces yeah. with the young guys that you have drafted or signed internationally and and, and reared up like to be stars. Mm-hmm. Josh Young, Leody yeah. Tavares, Jose LeClerc, uh Evan Carter, that those people uh, Jonah Heim, you know, wasn't mm-hmm. Was a was a really raw baseball player when they when they acquired him. I'm not going to take credit for his development, but you know you see what I'm you, say, Yo, you yeah. see what I'm saying, yeah. now, right? Rangers have a good mix of hey, we brought some talent in, but we've got a good chunk of this team that we've developed ourselves. Yes, absolutely, and that's how you that's that's what the Astros did, right? That's what the Dodgers yep. do. That's what good teams do, mm-hmm. and that's what's so you know awesome to see for the Rangers. And then the Diamondbacks, they're pretty much just 
we sucked. We've drafted well. Here we are. They've made some key trades. Yeah. They traded for Paul Seawald at the deadline, which is a baffling move on the Mariners' side, but that's a story for a different time. But And then they got—I mean, Corbin Carroll is awesome, man. Yeah. And just to also see the fortitude of Cattell Marte— they have had multiple offers for him to trade for him over the years, and they've held on to him. And a lot of people are like, why? Right? Nope. He's not in your window. Yes, he is. Look at him. They're here. NLCS MVP. Cattell Marte is a guy that they've developed, even though they didn't have him from the jump. And then it's guys like Christian Walker, and then you supplement them with veterans like Evan Longoria, who is not, you know, like a star anymore, but he has that presence. You need that veteran presence on come, every team. Yeah. Yep. To come and, you know, just, you know, talk to people. He's been, Evan Longoria has played in a World Series before. That's what's important, to have that kind of veteran leadership. So it's a, it's a, a, two teams that have that mix coming together, and it's a good thing for baseball, and I think that's kind of what this segment is kind of the, the overarching theme of this is a good thing. The Diamondbacks yep. and the Rangers, my bias aside, being a Rangers fan, even if I wasn't one, I would pointing at this saying, this is good that DFW is liking baseball again. It's mm-hmm. good that that stadium is packed. It's good that Phoenix is liking baseball again because these are two franchises that haven't had a lot of baseball success in the uh, recent past. Yeah, it's the first time since 2010 where the Cowboys, Mavericks, Rangers, and Stars are all playing at the same time. So pretty <laughs> exciting yeah. for uh, DFW. Yeah. Um, I will say this, as far as baseball with fans complaining, it's like, well, you you will also complain if the Astros are in the world, like, oh, they did it again, the Astros are in the World Series. It's like, so which is it, really? You know, I just just want to know, because this is an, an opportunity for baseball to grow as a sport, because they are losing some of its audience a little bit, and that's because players aren't being marketed as much. Well, this is an opportunity for players that don't get the publicity that they normally do to be able to for people to take notice of emerging stars out of this series. Because some some players, we don't know who, but there will be a few a select few players from both sides that are going to make impact plays, and people are going to start talking about them and learning more about them. So, it's a great opportunity for these guys to, you know, show what they're capable of and. Um, it's it's been a long time coming for me as a Rangers fan and you know a DFW sports fan to be able to see my my team in the championship. So I can't wait to see it. Uh, I think the Rangers certainly uh, are, are going to be ready for this, and and it'll be a lot of fun. Should we jump into a preview of Game One? It's Friday night. It's seven yeah. o'clock at the Globe. I think we should call the it the Globe. Globe. I think we should call it the Globe. Uh, we have this. We have the probable starters. They have been yep. announced already. It'll be Zach Gallen, not a surprise there, starting for Arizona and against Nathan Eovaldi for the Texas Rangers. Thoughts on the pitching matchup, guys? Uh, Should be good. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited for it. Um, I think Zach Gallen is obviously a great number one guy to have, but. He hasn't been perfect. He's been hittable. He's he's not untouchable. Whereas I think Nathan Evaldi's pretty much just been untouchable. I mean, he's just been invincible in this postseason. So I think the Rangers have the slight uh, advantage there. He's been there. He's done that. Gallon uh, in his last start against Philly went six innings, six hits, four in runs, two walks, and a strikeout. He's allowed six home runs this postseason. So that is something where the Rangers could take advantage of here is you know, they like to hit the long ball, and that could play a huge factor if they can get runners on base. And uh, Mr. Garcia could continue his big run. Yeah, my, my concern for the Diamondbacks putting out Gallon is just the fact that 
it's been proven that he can get hit against this postseason. And for the Rangers, it's a matter of how quickly can you get him out of the game and deplete the bullpen so that game two is really tough for the Diamondbacks. I and and I think this game one could be incredibly decisive. We always say, oh, obviously it's important to get the 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 game one victory, but it's how you get that victory. If if Rangers are able to knock Zach Gallen out of the game early, knock around the bullpen a little bit, use a good chunk of the arms, go into game two with the Diamondbacks on the back foot, I think they're set up to be, you know, they're they're they'll they'll be set up in a pretty golden opportunity. And that's when the Rangers are successful. Uh, the Rangers struggle against bullpens for the most part this season. Uh, I believe that I don't know the exact amount of losses, but they were one in a lot. They only won one game when trailing after the eighth inning this entire year, and only won a handful when trailing after seven. So that's paints the whole picture. Yep. And this whole postseason, when they were successful, it's because they jumped on the starter early, yep. not the bullpens. Even though they were able to get to the bullpens against Houston these the last two games, it was against the Verlanders of the world, yep. right? That Garcia-Homer yep. was against Verlander in Game 5. It was against, uh, oh man, it was so long ago. Who pitched for the Rays? Uh, Zach Eflin and oh, Tyler Glass now. Yeah. And it was against Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish and, and Dean Kramer against the Orioles. They got to them. They did not get to the bullpens necessarily, even though they might have sprinkled a couple more runs, but it was because they pounded the starters early, got to the bullpens early. That was the key of Game 7. Christian Javier got one out. Yep. And if the Rangers can replicate you know, something similar to that throughout this series to where you are getting uh, Kevin Ginkle and Paul Sewald pitching in the 6th and the 7th instead of the 8th and the ninth, getting them off schedule then you put yourself in a position where you can be successful. To get to get a team to a bullpen game is good, but you have to get them off schedule. That is the key. I agree. Yeah, or just, I mean, in, with them is just pitching in, in the 8th and ninth when they're down by, uh, you know, just trying to stop the bleeding. So, yeah, the, the Rangers lineup is just lethal, and uh, I'm really curious to see what Bruce Bochy does. We know that with the, bull, with the Rangers bullpen, we know Spores and LeClerc, are the two best arms. What will they do with Chapman is what I'm really curious to see is how much confidence do they have in him and uh, when will we see that Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning come into the ballgame? Well, perhaps it's time to make some picks. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Zion, Seth, either of you guys can start, but give me the the World Series champion and how many games and your World Series MVP. Okay, I will go with... The Texas Rangers to win this series in six games, uh, winning at home at Globe Life. That will hopefully be a will come to fruition. It'll be a lot of fun. World Series MVP. I'm gonna go with Corey Seager. I'm gonna uh, also pick the Rangers in six. World Series MVP Nathan Ivaldi. That's exactly mine. Rangers in six. Nathan Avaldi. I think he's going to get MVP. Just he's giving me flashbacks to the Strasburg of 2019. Just dominant as could be. And pitchers aren't often given the MVP in in World Series just because you don't have many opportunities to pitch. But Nathan Avaldi has just been lights out, as you guys have said, unhittable for the Rangers. I'm sorry, 
unhittable for other teams, great for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm going Rangers in six as well with Nathan Navaldi as as my World Series MVP. So I love it. Hope that hope it comes to pass. Yeah. I will cry if it does. Yes. So we've got a great seven, perhaps possibly seven more games of baseball left. Hopefully less, but. Yeah, so it should be a great series. So Diamondbacks and Rangers will get things kicked off on Friday here in Arlington at 7 o'clock over at Globe Life Field for Game 1 of the 2023 World Series. When we come back, we will touch on the start of the NBA season, the 23-24 NBA season. It just got kicked off, uh, tipped off last night on Tuesday night, so we'll get into some of that. But stay here on 88.7 The Choice. You're listening to Riff Ram Review. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back live at the National Butt Out Finals, and we're down to our last contestant, A.J. Langer. He's all fired up. We can see smoke coming out of his nose, and there's a big cloud of smoke around his head. And there he goes. It's out. He put his butt out in 2.6 seconds. Now the judges are checking his butt to make sure every bit of combustible material is extinguished. A thumbs up. A new world record for extinguishing a cigarette. 2.6 seconds. Lori is with A.J. Lori? AJ, how did you get so good at putting your butt out? Well, Lori, I burnt the house down. I was a careless smoker. So you learned the hard way. Hard and costly way. You have any tips for the smokers out there? Oh, you get a sturdy ashtray, you push down hard and twist with the wrist. Right. And let's see who can beat 2.6 seconds. Smoking is the number one cause of preventable home fire deaths. Check out usfa.dhs.gov smoking. A message from the U.S. Fire Administration and firefighters everywhere. Welcome back to the final segment of episode nine here of Riff Ram Review on KTCU The Choice. I'm Zion Trammell here with Ian Apetian and Seth Dowdle. We just had a long, hour-long talk about baseball. That was pretty fun. I, I really enjoyed it. But Very enjoyable. Yes, we are going to switch to the NBA season, who, which just tipped off last night. The Denver Nuggets seemingly own the LA Lakers right now they won 119 to 107 and the Phoenix Suns boo beat the Golden State Warriors 108 to 104 so the NBA season is underway there are a lot of exciting headlines here for this season as the Denver Nuggets look to repeat and defend their championship with a lot of moving parts and potential moving parts we have James Harden in that situation with Philly not quite sure where he will end up. Damian Lillard finally uh, decides to run from the grind and joins the Milwaukee Bucks and teams up with Giannis. Uh, there's just a lot to be excited about. We're going to first dive into the DFW team, the Dallas Mavericks, as they open up their season against Victor Wembenyama and the San Antonio Spurs tonight at 8.30. Uh, kind of a disappointing season for the Mavericks. They missed the play-in. Kind of seemed it was intentional, but they acquired Kyrie Irving, and and things didn't go the way that things you know they were hoping for. Lots of injuries and some chemistry issues, but I think things will look better for the Dallas Mavericks. They made some moves over the offseason. They acquired Grant Williams from the Boston Celtics, made some good draft picks with Derek Lively out of Duke, and got Omax Prosper. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the Mavericks. Uh, I think. They should avoid the play-in. They, if so, I think they'd be a seven seed. But I could totally see them hanging around that five to six seed. Look, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. There's no denying how incredibly talented they are on the offensive end. I think they'll, 
start to develop some more chemistry. It's just the defense that they need to clean up, and they, they seem to make some adjustments that I noticed in the preseason. A lot more switches going on. So I'm curious to see uh, what the Mavericks can do this season. I did not know Seth Curry was on the Mavericks. Yes. He's back. He's, He's back. back. Yes. You know, he, he thinks he doesn't want to be here anymore, and then he is allured back by the power of the Seths here <laughs> in DFW. The Seths. Yeah. So welcome back, Seth. We missed you. Uh, shoot a three for me. Oh, he fast. will. He, he'll shoot plenty. Shoot a three for me. I, w- I would like to say this, though, uh, quickly, just about the Mavericks, too, is they're shooting on the, uh, um, as far as their guard room, I think they have the most talented offensive guards in the NBA with Kyrie, Luka, Seth Curry, Jaden Hardy, I mean, Tim Hardaway when is so streaky, but man, is he such a good shooter. Not much defense, but there's it's offensively, it's very talented. And I'm excited as, really just excited to see that. Are the Mavs the USC of the NBA? Possibly. Yes, very much possibly. But I think that's why they brought in uh, Grant Williams. That's why they drafted Derek Lively is to hopefully, and, and they traded for Rashawn Holmes, is we're going to try to, bring back that defensive identity that made them so good in uh, 2022 uh, or 2021, I guess. Um, so I'm curious to see how that goes. Wimby, Wimby, Wimby tonight. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. Very it's, excited. I, I'm a little nervous for Dwight Powell because <laughs> assuming Dwight Powell is going to start, uh, I'm a little bit nervous to who, see how Who that wins the out. opening tip? <laughs> if Wimby doesn't win, uh, we, <laughs> whew, there, there might be some problems, but Man, what a unique player to come into the NBA. A guy that's 7'4", can create his own shot, uh, dribble. He can shoot from... I hope he could dribble. Well, he is a much better dribbler than most centers in the NBA. Um, He's got a great post hook, post fade. He can shoot from beyond the arc. He's got, obviously, incredible interior defense. Probably needs to bulk up a little bit, but, man, what a... What an exciting player to to come into the NBA. Yeah, I mean, for him, it, it would be like if we played on like a on like an eight foot rim. Yeah, that's the equivalent. Oh, I could, he, I the, could the, dem- the rim is right there, and you're just like, oh, yep, there we go. I right could there. be good at that. I could do that. Well, that's what he's doing. I know. That's what he could be doing. What's up with all the skinny tall dudes coming into the NBA the last couple of years? <laughs> yeah. What are they doing? Chet Holmgren. Oh yes. It's just like a bunch of skeletons, and they put some flesh on them real fast and said dribble. Yeah, and they're good. I mean, they're good. Uh, I think that Thunder team's gonna be fun. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you for mentioning that, Seth, because that is my team. I have them. I had a preseason uh, standings prediction. I had the Thunder as the sixth seed in the West. Uh, I think it was six or five, maybe. I'm really excited with that group: Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy. Giddy. Yes. I'm Giddy for Giddy. <laughs> Jalen Williams. Look out. Which, Jaylen, which one? There's two of them. J-A-Y-L-I-N Williams. The the better Jalen Williams. He's going to be starting the a The one with not the curly hair? Yeah. That one. That guy's from Arkansas, and he can take a charge even though when it's not a charge. I'll just tell you that. That's my analysis. Yeah. So. Jalen Williams, I think, could win most improved player. Um, and, and the guy, the one that gets more minutes than the other Jalen Williams. So... I'm excited about the Thunder. Zion, you are our resident basketball expert, at least in the National Basketball Association. Mm. Uh, so I have come with a, a question. Okay. 
a couple, actually two questions. I'm asking you to predict how this season is going to go. I want you to give me the Western Conference champion, the Eastern Conference champion, and then who wins the NBA Finals and why. Okay, I, I can I can do that. Um, so here's the thing: is Denver? It's it's hard to pick against them because they didn't really lose much in the off season. Um, I obviously Jokic is a spectacle. He's a remarkable player. Um, but I, I I hate to say this because they've just continued to set the standard for what excellence looks like. But the it's hard to pick out the to, against the golden state warriors tis tis yes they, Ian, come on <laughs> they got chris paul <laughs> in the, off the season now. no hey hey i i grew up a warriors fan but yes. i'm not a big basketball guy yeah that that's that's my that's my explanation i grew up a warriors fan but i'm not a big basketball guy to begin with yeah they're my but local he was team. The, he was there for all of it me yeah you were oh the, yeah i was there for all of it yeah. yes i was there for all of it yeah, yeah. he was I, the ref at center court I was. I'm trying to pull up my standings <laughs> predictions. I probably should have done that beforehand. But yeah, Warriors I, to win the West is that your prediction? Yeah, I think they can do it. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I kind of want to be wrong because I want to see somebody else. Mm. Um, it's good for basketball to have the same good old winners. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. will watch the finals. Yes. Yeah. Um, Goodness gracious. I, I think the Buc- or not the Bucks, the Suns are obviously going to be an interesting team with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Bradley Beal. But Kevin Durant should know this, that a big three just has not really worked out very well recently in the NBA. It's just not worked very well. Bradley Beal's had problems staying healthy. He's already out. And you know, I think they're taking precautionary measures, but he didn't play last night, so I'm not very confident in Phoenix. Um, the Lakers will certainly be a contender as well, and also maybe Sacramento. Sacramento, yeah. they, they, they hey, light hey, the beam, light the freaking yeah, beam. Yeah. yeah, they could be interesting. I mean, De'Aaron Fox is a tremendous, tremendous player. Yeah, and Sabonis is good too. Curious, is there a team that you were hoping to see more of in this offseason, but they didn't really go out and build build much around what they have? It's the Sacramento Kings, actually. Mm-hmm. They did not get anybody, really. Um, they got some guy, I think his name's like Sasha. Some, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen? Yes. He's, mo- he's moving the needle, guys. <laughs> Sasha's moving the needle, obviously. Yeah. They just didn't. They re-signed Harrison Barnes. Uh, they Ooh, lost yes. Rashawn Holmes and traded their first-round pick to the Mavericks. Um, I, I was very disappointed in what Sacramento, their failure to really build off of a very yep. successful season. Just making the playoffs was a success for them. Mm-hmm. They took a really good Warriors team to seven games. They did. And, uh, <laughs> and let the beam. Yeah. And so I, I was a little disappointed that they didn't, they didn't do too much. Yeah. East. <laughs> okay. In the Eastern Conference. Four minutes for the East. Okay. So I think the East, of course, I think most people are going to say Milwaukee. You, you know, you have Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. They've just got so much depth. But I myself, and I think some other people might have forgotten, like the Boston Celtics got significantly better, in my opinion, this offseason. Um, they got Chris Dapps Porzingis, who I just have a little bit of a quarrel with Porzingis because he, you know... Well, didn't have the greatest stint with the Mavericks. He showed flashes, but he just could not stay healthy. It was a frustrating uh, tenure with Porzingis, but 
He was healthy for majority of the season last year, and if he can continue that, man, is he talented. Um, they also got Drew Holiday, so um, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good defense. One, the best defensive point guard in the NBA, yeah. in my opinion. And then, really, the difference for them is going to be is Jason Tatum. Can he stay consistent in the playoffs? Because we've seen streaky performances from him. And can Jalen Brown figure out how to dribble with his left hand? That's uh, the <laughs> that's yeah. another thing too. Al Horford still there? Yeah, Al Going Horford strong. is still there. They lost Man. Robert Williams, um, lost Malcolm Brogdon, um, but and Grant. And Grant Williams, yeah. Um, Grant Williams, man, that guy looks weird, man. Yeah. He, he <laughs> what is... great analysis from the NBA we have. No, I got to be honest. Here. Grant Williams looks just weird. looks a little strange. Yeah. Looks, looks like short and stubby, you know? Yeah. The the, the East is very top-heavy. I don't think the 76ers are going to be that good, uh, especially with the Harden situation. I don't, I'm not very high on, on Philly. I am pretty high on Cleveland and the Knicks, so that could be interesting. My Eastern Conference uh, prediction – is uh, Milwaukee versus uh, Cleveland actually? Oh, I know yeah, I just Cleveland, spoke highly yeah, on yeah. on on Boston, but I think those problems that I mentioned with Tatum and Brown are, I think they're going to continue, and yeah. I don't think they're going to stay healthy enough. So I have Warriors versus the Bucks, and I'm going to take Milwaukee to to win the to win the title. Nice. You heard it here, folks. The Milwaukee Bucks will win the 2023-24 NBA championship. Hang the banner right now. You might as well not even play the season because we have it solved. Yeah. yeah. And I, also, by the way, the West is has been and will continue to be the best conference. Yeah. That's just what it's been for the last several years. It's unbelievable. I actually have the Clippers like as a 9 or 10 seed because of how much talent there is you're in the West. Me, you're telling me that Russell Westbrook isn't going to carry him to victory? No. <laughs> nope. I. This is really hard to hear for me. Yeah. You know, I have an Oklahoma City Thunder Russell Westbrook shirt that has been in the closet for a very long time because I'm embarrassed to wear it. <laughs> keep That's... it there. <laughs> yeah, you might want to keep it I there. Wear, I might wear it to bed sometimes. Yeah. It's it's very hard to predict how the NBA season will go. I'm not saying I'm going to be right. I will definitely be wrong, probably. Um, there's just a lot to uncover, and I'm I'm excited that the NBA season is back. Hopefully, the the Mavericks can can build off of last season. What are your quickly expectations for the Warriors? Man, honestly, I've been so zoned out of basketball for the last like two seasons. Yeah. I and that's the thing. It sounds so bad, and everyone can can you know comment on this but i you know the warriors winning so much you just get used to being like all right i'm gonna focus up at the postseason yeah and and to be honest for me though again for me basketball it's just 82 games every other day i feel like the, the this is just me i'm not crazy into basketball i feel like basketball gets drawn out a lot and there's a lot of guys that sit which i do not like about the sport i know they're trying to change it but for the warriors i mean Definitely go further than they did last year. Going out to the Kings was really tough. Credit to the Kings for for what they did, but hopefully Western Conference Finals. I think that'd be I think that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Hope we're, we're, I'm definitely hoping the NBA fixes that issue of yeah. resting players and 
and all that. So that will wrap up our episode here. Just a reminder, next week we are going to have TCU women's basketball Sedona Prince on the show. We're very excited about that. We're going to have that at the beginning of the show. Really excited to have her on. We're going to talk about her transferring from Oregon and plenty of other stuff with social media and all that. So for Ian Apetian and Seth Dowdle, I'm Zion Trammell. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch us next Wednesday for episode 10 of Riff Ram Review right here on KTCU The Choice.